Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles out. First Kings chapter 19 is where I'd like you to open. First Kings chapter 19, Elijah went from the heights of victory to the depths of despair. He went from Mount Carmel all the way down into the caves. Why? Because he's a normal human being. He went from fate to fear so quickly as he was threatened by King Ahab's nasty, aggressive, evil wife, Jezebel. She vows to kill him. And his response was to run away. And he runs away so quickly, as we learned last time, that he left his servant behind. I mean, he was out of here. And we don't always have to run when we're threatened, you know. We don't always have to run away and leave the ones that we love behind. In the strength of the Lord, we can stand our ground in the face of threats and intimidation. We actually see that all over the the Bible, but I want to show one place to you in particular. If you'd flip over to Acts, hold your places in Kings and flip over to Acts chapter 4, as we see the early church having to face fear and intimidation and threats. They're the tools of the enemy. You have to see that way in your life. Fear, intimidation, threats are tools of the enemy designed to silence you, to keep you inactive to make you cower in fear, to keep you quiet, to keep you to yourself, to make your relationship with Jesus Christ something like in our culture we've been raised, hey, faith is a private thing, it's a private thing. Faith and politics, those are the two things that that are not allowed to be discussed in the open forum without somebody just, and now with social media and the trolls and everything, I mean, they'll just bury you if you wanna speak up for what you believe in. And we live in a culture that seems to allow everyone to speak about anything but Jesus Christ. You can speak about spirituality, and you can speak about God, capital G-O-D. You, you can speak, you could probably even speak about church, but then you're getting really close, because the minute that you mention Jesus, then that's it, it's over. Nobody, now, now they, they're name-calling and illogical arguments and the fear of losing your job, the the fear of losing your reputation, uh, all sorts of intimidation, confusing threats, condemning accusations, they begin to add up and and, and it seems like the the right answer is, well, I just won't talk about that then. I I won't bring it up in the family. I won't bring it up at work. I won't talk to my neighbor. I won't even, and you, you and I, we have to learn, we have to learn tactfulness and technique because we can use tactfulness and technique to communicate in the world. I was speaking to someone recently who uh, emailed me and asked me a question about, you know, how I'm serving at work and I feel like I'm not doing a good enough job of being a witness at work and and, and I, I know what the rules are at work and I shared with her one of the techniques that I picked up when I was in the corporate world and that was simply talking about the things of God without quoting a scripture. 
What I mean by that is when you hide God's word in your, ha- in your heart and in your hat, I guess, <laughs> when, you got, when, you, when you hide God's word in your heart, it comes out of you very naturally. So when you're sharing, you don't always have to say, this is what the Bible says, or you don't always have to quote the particular place in the Bible. You can speak forth the truth of God's word by simply speaking forth truth without ever giving it the actual, because truth is truth. And you're building a relationship and, and you are following the rules. You know, you may not quote the Bible at work. Okay, when I sign on to work, I sign on the dotted line that I'll keep the rules of, of the work until, you know, they cross the line and I, I can't be a believer anymore. So, okay, I realize that I'm in a politically correct environment and so I will learn how to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ in a politically correct environment. I will learn how to develop relationship with people and how to befriend people and how to give truth to people so that in that relationship as they trust me that perhaps I can then go to lunch with them and on my own time I can open the Bible to them. I can begin to share with them. I can make myself available to them. They can email me on my personal email they can maybe send a text to me. I mean, you can learn how to get around without being intimidated and so fearful. Now, some of you, you just have to be bold. God is now, now I've spoken to you about accommodating our culture and, and, and accommodation is very important, technique and tact, but there are those times when boldness is in order. There are those times when you have, when you are, you're, let's put it into the jobs, job arena where when it comes to your job or your testimony before the Lord, you're just gonna have to choose your testimony and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, you were looking for a job when you got this one. And so if the Lord says, I don't want you any, here anymore, then you, you, there are some listening to me right now, you just gotta learn to be bold. Now, don't misunderstand boldness with stupidity. I didn't say you should be stupid, but just bold. I remember many times, but some in particular that I've shared with you before where I just sensed that God wanted me to be bold and I walked up into my boss's office thinking this will be the last time I talk to him because he will send me to HR and he will escort me off the property. And guess what? That didn't happen. And the Lord blessed that boldness. I was, you know, with with tact and technique, I shared the gospel with him. I shared my heart with him. I gave him the gift that, he, that I felt like the Lord wanted me to give him, which was a Bible. And, and instead of saying, you're fired, you broke all the rules, you know what he said? Thank you. Get back to work. You know? <laughs> I was like, on my, on my own time. But you see, a, a, as, a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, your life, my life, was designed to be shared, to live out in community, with other people. We live in a very large city. We live in a very large metro area. We live in a very populated state. And we were were designed, our lives were designed to be shared, whether it's, you know, for us here locally or somebody listening right now, well, wait a minute, Ed, my town only has 500. Well, then you have much greater access to the community because, you know, in a town of 500, they know everything about everything anyway. So now they know you love Jesus. And now you can live it out. You have a story. You have a God story. And it's through your life and through your testimony that God brings others to himself. And sharing that story is so powerful that the gates of hell literally are stirred up against you to silence you from sharing your story. And while I have some stories about being bold at work, I also have 
some stories on the other side of where fear silenced me or where I felt intimidated and what I might have called, well, I'll wait to a more appropriate time. As I look back now, I can see that that was just an excuse to cover my fear and having the Lord having to deal with that. So you go both ways. You know, it's not only success stories. I can remember many times of which I now regret when I felt a prompting of the Lord to open my mouth and I didn't. And I think we all have those as well. Now, we have an episode in Acts chapter 4 of a time of intimidation, a time of great fear. I'll draw your attention to verse, uh, let's go to 19. Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Well, let's not do that. Let's go back to verse 13 for context. Now, this is the Sanhedrin. This was the, the, in effect, the Supreme Court of, of Jerusalem. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? That, that's how, this is an insight into how people think when they're faced with the truth, they'll confer together and say, what are we going to do about these people? What, what are we supposed to do? Whether it's one person having to deal with you or a group, notice it says in verse 16, indeed a notable miracle has been done through them. It's evident to everyone that dwells in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But, verse 17, so that it spreads no further among the people, let us, and notice these words, severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name and so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus verse 19 but when Peter and John answered and said to them whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge for we cannot but speak the things which you have seen and heard and so when they had further threatened them they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. I love this answer. Hey, you judge. You judge whether we should speak or not or whether it's right. You judge, but we're not, we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop sharing. We're not going to stop. It, it says in verse 20, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen in her. We can't, we can't, we don't have anything else to say. We don't have anything else to say. Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are a God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Now they're, they're taking their current situation and they're finding context in the scriptures. And people are plotting vain things against them. That's even hard to conceive, isn't it? That there are people represented, connected to, peop to us in this room that are plotting vain things against us right now as we speak. And so what do we do? Well, we do what they do. We pray. They go, God, you see what's going on. You see people plotting vain things. 
The kings, verse 26 of the earth, took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. The the sovereignty of God. They're leaning upon trusting God with their lives. This is no surprise to you, God. You have foreknowledge. You've seen all this coming. You've allowed it into our lives. Such great encouragement. Now, Lord, verse 29, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When faced with fear, anxiety, threats, intimidation, we sometimes, like Elijah, run away. And we're going to learn with Elijah, God's going to meet him there. But sometimes we run to our friends and we pray. And we say, look, I heard heard the threats. And God, I've seen you act in history. I've watched you with Jesus, your Messiah. I've seen it happen, so just give us the boldness to keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. That's a prayer for some of you today. That's a word from the Lord, that that your prayer needs to be, God, give me boldness. Grant me boldness. You've seen this. You've watched this. You you know what the, God, you know what's at stake because like the word says in uh, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determine before to be done. To do whatever you want to do with my life, God. I'm learning it, I'm learning it day by day. God, you already know. You already know. And I trusted you when I was born again. So now that I'm in a little place of fear and intimidation and I got threatened and I stood up to it. And so what was their response? They threatened me more. Now, let me just say this. Because some are thinking, well, I've never really faced the threat of another human being before. And if that's you, I just want to let you know, God bless you. I'm glad You've never had anybody threaten you or come against you or slander or gossip. Man, enjoy that. But I'll tell you this. What you haven't received from some other human being, the devil himself in the demonic realm has gone after you. To threaten you, intimidate you, lop loads of condemnation on you and guilt, to, to whisper in your ear, to interrupt your sleep, to to just intimidate you and say, you'll never get out of this. It will never end. You you have gone so far and it's so much out of your control and and on and on the lies go. And what do we do? Hey man, we come together and we pray and we ask God, give me the boldness that I can stand against the the wiles of the enemy and I can resist the devil because the devil will flee from me when I do that. So whether it's human or spiritual, the response is the same. They went to their fellowship, to their own companions, and they prayed. That's why gathering together with the saints is so powerful. As we see that becoming a theme uh, to encourage us as a church over the last few studies as a church. Like, man, getting together is vital. It's not because you have to. It's because you get to, and you just need to be with other believers. You just look around the room. You just need to be praying with one another, singing together, studying the Bible together, fellowshipping, eating together. We, We need to come together, and we need to pray. You need to pray. You, you, you aren't going to get through this alone. You need a prayer partner. If you don't have a prayer partner right now, pray for a prayer partner. And 
reach out and ask for a prayer partner. You, you, you come into the service, you sit in the, generally in the same place, you generally sit around the same people, well, introduce yourself. We ask you to greet each other. We're not goofing off. Like, we're not just doing that because, okay, here's church service. We gather together, and then we have three songs, and then 32 seconds, you greet one another. And then, no, man, when we ask you to greet, we, we mean it. We want you to welcome someone. You want you to be sensitive in the spirit. We want you to look people in the eye. You, you may find yourself, we want you to find out how you're feeling, we want to know, hey man, uh, you know, the Broncos almost lost, but who cares? How's your spiritual life doing? I'll try that one. <laughs> try it. Tell me how it goes. We want you to get to know your church family. That, that's, that's not my responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It's yours. It's not just sitting around waiting well, who's going to greet me? Man, what do you mean who's going to greet you? Well, who are you going to greet? I don't know. I'm not greeting anybody if somebody greets me. Oh, that sounds like, that, that sounds like the Holy Spirit's really working through you. It, it isn't the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it's you. And the only way that you're going to find yourself connecting with other people is if you submit you, you die to yourself, and you live to Christ. And you start stepping out in faith. And they don't run away like Elijah, and they don't freak out. They just come together and begin to pray for the spiritual warfare that they're experiencing. Even if they were, after they were told not to, they still prayed and asked for boldness. They needed more. And when you realize that this is God's plan, when you realize that nothing takes God by surprise, when you realize that God is sovereign and his providential will is being worked out in your life, then you, can, then you can trust him to handle whatever comes your way. It won't shake your faith so quickly that God's going to use it. As Pastor Chuck Smith once wrote, and let me quote it to you, we cannot read our life's plot from one event or one episode. We can't say whether an event is working to help us accomplish our goal or whether that event is threatening to sabotage us. But we can know this. If and when we're surrendered to God, all things work together for good, Romans 8, 28. We know that. We don't know what this situation's gonna do. We don't know how painful it's gonna be or how long it's gonna last or we don't know whether it's gonna help us or hurt us in the present moment. But we do know this, if when we're surrendered to God, all things work together for the good and no single moment in our life stands in isolation from all the other moments. What doesn't make sense today is explained tomorrow. And what we painfully learned this year is an education we'll appreciate next year and everything is preparation for something else. Isn't that so good? Man, I miss Pastor Chuck. I mean, we don't miss him because we have everything recorded from him, but man, listen, whatever, we don't, whatever doesn't make sense today gets explained tomorrow. You go, wait a minute, Ed, I've been waiting for a lot of tomorrows. Okay, after 365 tomorrows, what we painfully learned this year is an education for next year. And one thing we know for sure, everything is in preparation for something else. There is a purpose and reason for everything you're going through right now. And you're right, you're gonna do one of two things. So am I. I can look back at my life and go, man, I have been Elijah. The top of Mount Carmel. Greatest victory I've ever experienced. And it seems like in a moment's notice, I have run down the mountain to the lowest cave 
all alone, crying out to God, why am I alone? However, I can say this. There have been times as well where I can remember being on Mount Carmel and then being challenged and seeing the faithfulness of God. And then when I do run after fear or intimidation, I find myself running to other believers and we gather together and we're strong together and we're praying for one another and I don't make it to the caves. But I go right back up to Mount Carmel because there's a few more prophets to slay. I missed a few in the will of the Lord. There's so much more. Think about our church. Think about our church. Some of you are brand new to this church. Some of you have been with us for many years and everyone in between. I was thinking about this today, just meditating on it, on a few things that are on my heart. And I was just thinking, there is so much still yet to be done in our city. We haven't even scratched the surface of what God wants to accomplish through our lives. And what we're going through today is preparing us for tomorrow and refining us, and, and the, the pain, the difficulty, the challenges, the fears, the intimidations, the closed doors, the open doors, all for the Lord. The last thing that God would have us to do is to rest on our laurels and say, well, you know what? We've arrived. Are you kidding me? We haven't arrived until we see Jesus face to face. Then we've arrived. Then we're on our knees before the glory of God thinking, oh my. First of all, the first thought you're going to have in heaven is, I made it. (laughs) Oh man, it was real all along. This is amazing. The second thought you're going to have, you're going to look around and say, you made it too. (laughs) Yes, we made it, didn't we? Yeah. Isn't that awesome? God has promised to complete what he started in your life. And what we see by faith right now, one day will be a reality. One day our ears will hear. It's to some degree or another. And it's our prayer, isn't it? It's our hope. It's what moves us. One day, some way, some form, we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy. We're all going to hear that by grace, not by our works. Sometimes we're like Elijah and sometimes we're like Peter and John. Well, because Elijah is the focus, let's come back and finish off this chapter. There's not much, but I do have a few things that I didn't share last time. Pick up with me back in 1 Kings 19, would you? In verse nine, it speaks of Elijah Going into a cave, it says, and, and, he, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes we just need to hear that question. What are you doing here, Ed? And I have to answer that question. God asked me that question, I should answer it. And God can, God can take any honest answer that you have. He can, he can handle it. You don't need to sugarcoat it. Even if you did sugarcoat it, God knows you inside and out. You're not going to fool God. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? And so he answers, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. I'm sure you've been there. You know what this sounds like? This, is, this answer has come out of my mouth before and it's something along the lines of this. God, I have put everything on the line for you. 
I have left everything. I have, and I start to rehearse things that I think I've done for God. And I begin to stack up. But I've done this for you, Lord. And I've done this for you, Lord. And I've done this. And they stack up so that they, they, they're really huge and monumental in my life. Because they are, and to some degree. But the conclusion is wrong. And that is, I've done this and this. And this is my reward. That, that's literally come out of my mouth on more than one occasion. And I'm grateful for the grace of God. Because he works with me. He works with me. If he works with me, he works with you. And, and he'll allow me to process those emotions or this, well, let's just call it what it is. It's self-pity. When examining the difficulty in our lives and running to the caves, Elijah, as well as perhaps you, for sure me at times, have dealt with self-pity. I've done all this for you, Lord, so my reward should be something good. I've been a good little boy. And I grew up in a home with good little boys, always received good. Now, even in our world, it's gotten much worse. I don't know if you've seen generationally, generationally, that over time, we've become the most narcissistic generation of all time. And, and it's, it's come because, you know, the, the pattern is, well, you know, I didn't get this kind of upbringing in my house, so for my kids, I'm going to make sure that I affirm them, and I bless them, and I encourage them, and then their kids, then they're going to affirm, and before you know it, there, there has been this, this hindrance of anybody feeling anything like, man, I've made a mistake, or I've, you know, like in sports, like sports, in sports, you realize everybody gets a trophy now. Yeah, but you lost every game. I, that's okay. That's okay because, because everybody gets a trophy. Because if one person is going to get a trophy, then we want to make sure. And it, it started way back, I think, with this, this whole move of self-esteem. This, this idea that the, all of the world's ill is a lack of self-esteem. And then that came into the school system. And now the effort is you've got to feel good about yourself. You've got to feel good about yourself. Listen, there are times when you don't feel good. And you can still esteem yourself in the Lord. You can still, you don't have to put yourself down. That's certainly not the heart of God. Just go around putting yourself down. That's another form of pride. Pride goes two ways. And this is dangerous for us all because whenever we mention pride, some people check themselves out automatically because they think, well, pride is always thinking too highly of yourself. That is a form of pride. We can think too highly of ourselves. But did you know the opposite of that is also pride? And that's to think too low of ourselves. Oh, woe is me, I'm a horrible person. Not in the Lord, you're not. Oh, look at me, you know, I, I failed and I've lost, so I'm not a good person. No, no, there are winners and there are losers, but everybody wins at the cross. That's the great equalizer. And here we are, a tendency, some more than others, toward self-pity. Notice verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after a fire, it was a still, small voice. Verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so he gives the same answer. I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts. 
because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets and with the sword, and I alone am left. I alone am left. It's all about me. I alone. What a trap we fall into. It's all about me. And they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Moholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Verse 17, it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And here's the word of the Lord, really the encouragement. The encouragement in verse 18, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, you can just write next to this, you're not alone, Elijah. That's what he's telling him. He's answered his question, I alone and left. And the answer, that the, deep, the deep-seated thing in Elijah's life was this very issue, you're not alone. So encouraging. I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed. You know what's, you know what's striking about this? Is that Elijah didn't know this. This guy heard from the Lord. He spoke from the Lord. He, he was used to raise people from the dead. He called fire down from heaven. And he didn't know that 7,000 people were still connected and dedicated to God? No. So it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you might have. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. There are still things you don't know. And that God's going to reveal to you at just the right time. Why didn't he reveal 7,000 up on Mount Carmel? Why didn't he tell him any time he was running away from Jezebel? Why is it here in the cave? Because that's when he was ready. You know, God will let you get down to the darkest, deepest pit. He'll let you go. You feel like you're being abandoned, but you're not being abandoned at all. God is allowing you to go as far as you need to so you're ready to hear his word. How encouraging this must have been. It's almost like, you know, if I put it into a paraphrase, dude, there are 7,000 people just like you that are dedicated like you, that I'm using like you, that haven't bowed the knee. How encouraging that must have been. He tells them to stand up, listen carefully, you know, and then you've got the, all the, the, the supernatural stuff here. You've got the strong wind, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And you've got the earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And you've got the dramatic fire, but the Lord wasn't in any of all that. It was just the still small voice. God, God just very naturally, very normally ministering and serving Elijah. It wasn't in all the, the dramatic effects. It was just his still small, that gentle whisper that God is ministering to Elijah. And Elijah, the cave is not for you. Get up, get out, and go back. That's what he tells him. Get up, get out, and go back. There's so much more for you, Elijah, than this cave. But you gotta get up, and you gotta go out, and you gotta go back. That was the word of the Lord to Elijah and to us. God is so faithful. And I know that's an understatement, but it's worth repeating. It's so good to be reminded, according to 2 Timothy 2.13, that if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Isaiah 25, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, and your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And when we sur- survey the span of human history, 
you'll notice that God has never, and I emphasize never, been without a human witness on the earth. He's never been without what we call a remnant, a small group standing against the tide of evil and darkness, standing against the way that seems like the whole world or even sometimes the whole church is going a certain direction and you feel like you're the only one that is swimming against the tide. There used to be a a t-shirt way back in the 90s of, of a bunch of fish going in one direction and the Christian fish going the opposite direction where you've got all the, you, you even feel like you're going against the tide of what the church at large is doing. But God has reserved you and you're one of many, even though you feel like you're alone. God has always had and always will have those that are wholly dedicated to him, clinging to him, willing to represent him no matter the cost. Like we're gonna learn in Hebrews chapter one, God at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. It's a singular voice. Sometimes it's evident and obvious. Other times it's hidden and unclear, but God is always faithful. Did you hear that? Sometimes it's evident and obvious. Other times it seems hidden and unclear, but God is always faithful. And here's where Elijah is. He's struggling with the hidden and unclear, which is according to the Bible, the definition of a struggle of faith. That's the definition of faith, believing what you don't see. And so he's struggling with the hidden and unclear. He doesn't even know there's, like he doesn't even know that there's 7,000 other people. He feels all alone. He's in a cave and God comes to him so gentle. What are you doing here, man? I don't think it was a loud, what are you doing, Elijah, you dummy, you're a horrible servant, I can't stand it, I'm not, not going to use you anymore. It's like, man, I just see God coming and, and gently, what are you doing here? How many times have you heard that question in your own life? What are you doing here? You're hearing it right now. You've probably heard it 40 times in this message. What are you doing here? But it's not Elijah's name, it's your name. What are you doing here? And you know it's not about where you are physically. It's where you are spiritually. Especially those of you listening on the radio right now or not, not with us in the, in the building, not with us at a church service. What are you doing here? Is the word of the Lord to you? It's a great ask, question to ask those that are trying to run away, trying to run away from their problems, trying to stuff them and trying to resist them. What are you doing here? What are you in this place of self-pity? I need to speak to self-pity just for a moment. To some, it's going to be directly to you. To others, it'll be laying a seed for you, planting a seed in your life, but... Self-pity is not from the Lord. Self-pity is not from the Lord. I want to acknowledge and, and I recognize that the catalyst for what got you in self-pity is very painful. And I acknowledge that in your life. I'm in no way denying the pain in your life or the difficulty or the sorrow or the grief. It's real. And if it's grief and sorrow, most likely it's going to last until you shed this human body and you're reunited with your loved ones in heaven. It's hard. It's difficult. It's a trigger. It does all kinds of things to your head and to your mind that you never wanted, you don't want. I acknowledge that. And in no way would demean you or in some way try to speak over your head. Um, But rather, I get it. Loss is hard. Separation. Divorce singleness, slander, gossip, betrayal. There's pain living in this world. It's painful. 
But self-pity and playing the victim is not from the Lord. It's not his desire for your life. Self-pity and playing the victim are not from the Lord. They're not healthy. They're not biblical or a spiritual way of handling the difficulties that the Lord has allowed in your life. It's not the right response. Self-pity is essentially saying to God, I don't like what you're doing in my life and I rebel against you. I don't like what you allowed in my life. I'm not living there anymore. It happened years ago to me. But today, I choose to rebel against you because of what you let happen years ago. That is not from the Lord. We need to learn how to forgive. We need to learn how to submit. We need to learn how to receive the healing and forgiveness that God has in store for us. And we need to learn how to deny ourselves and break free of this sinful pattern of self-pity. If and when I begin to feel sorry for myself, I am acting in unbelief and faithlessness, essentially telling God that you don't believe what he's told you. Essentially saying to God, I don't believe that you care about me. I don't believe you cared about me back then. And so I don't care that I don't believe, even though you're not there anymore. You're not there. God has moved you forward. You brought pain with you, but the circumstances and situation is over. And now what's the biblical response to pain? But rather to submit ourselves to God and ask for him to heal us because he says that he's the healer. He says that, I mean, we believe God can heal us of our sin. How much more than of our hurt and our pain? And there is God in the midst of your, you may not hear the still small voice anymore because the earthquake of pain is so loud and the fire of pity is covering and the fog of being disoriented by your own efforts to try to get, I mean, it's, you got the earthquake, you got the fire, you got the wind. And all the while the Holy Spirit's saying in a gentle whisper, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And it gets lost. What should we as believers do when we find ourselves in trying circumstances? The temptation is to strike out, the, at, strike out at the person closest to us. It's to blame people in our past for who we are today. And maybe we uh, find ourselves blaming people for our circumstances. We become mad at God for allowing things in our life. Or we choose to wallow in self-pity. But what does God tell us we should do when we're afflicted and when we're suffering and when we're in trouble? Well, we already learned. He tells us, pray. Draw near to God. He tells us to forgive, to release, to trust. As we pray, it could be that God will answer our prayer and remove our problems. It could be. But it could be that God won't take away our afflictions. He won't take away our suffering. He won't take away our troubles. And he'll give us the strength to get through them so that our lives are even a greater testimony. I mean, it's really cool have the testimony of God's deliverance from things. And that's a powerful testimony. 
I love hearing that when we have testimony time, just listening, oh, I'm so happy for you, man. I mean, that's awesome. That, that, is, that is not as common as you might think. And then most of the testimony, though, that we hear, it's not delivering from something, is it? Most of the testimony we hear is God's strength to deliver us through something. And those are powerful testimonies. When you see someone that's endured all that cancer treatment and they're still standing, and you see someone that God rescued their marriage, or you see someone that's on the other side of divorce and they have made it through and they're walking through. You, you see someone that has had the, the upbringing that just crushes your heart and you watch them. Man, they're still strong. They're stronger now than, that's the testimony. You see someone that's been grieving and you think when they share their story, I never want to experience that. I don't know what I would do if I experienced that. And then the person grieving thinking, I don't ever want you to experience that either. But then as you're processing, you're going, but that brother, that sister, they're still standing. And you, this is the conclusion we come to, isn't it? If they can get through it in the power of God, then maybe I can. It gives you a little seed of hope. <laughs> a little seed of hope. And that's where Elijah is. Get up, get out, and go back. What are you doing here, Elijah? As we bring something before the Lord and acknowledging my need and dependence upon God, God can lift that problem that I'm presently facing and pain is a part of the package, church. If you were saved in a church that had a theology of pain, that somehow you were faithless and it's all your fault, and if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't experience that, they lied to you. That is not biblical teaching. That would be assigning sin to Jesus himself who went through the worst pain for your salvation and mine. It just, like, we just need to pray against that feel-good message that puts all the, all the emphasis on people, make them feel guilt-ridden so they can somehow take, extract money from them and continue to teach this nonsense. You know, the faith teachers, they trip me out because, you know, they say sickness is your fault, sickness is your fault. If you just had more faith, if you just had more faith, and I'm always tripping out. These are the same guys that are wearing glasses when they're teaching that. And you know, some wear glasses, but when they teach, they wear contacts so that you can't see that. And there they are, their eyes, you know, if you just had more faith, bro, you wouldn't need glasses. It's just simple logic. And I don't know how I got there. Let's come back. Verse 19. Verse 19. So Elijah did the right thing. He departed from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before them. And he was with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow you. And he said, Go back again, for what, I have, what, for what have I done to you? And Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and followed Elijah and served him. Not only does the Lord in God encourage him that there's 7,000, but he gave him one. He gave him one. He says, take Elisha. And it's fulfilling what he told him in the cave. He says, take Elisha. And Elisha will see as we follow the rest of his life. God's answer to Elijah was for him to pour into another young man. To disciple. So often the way out of difficulties is to find someone who's a little bit more hurting than you. A little bit more and pour yourself into them. 
and just pour yourself into discipling them, teaching them, giving your life, sharing your life. And so Elijah, his, out of the 7,000, he gave him one. That's pretty cool. And he's gonna serve together. And he found this humble man back at, with this pack of oxen, threw his mantle on him, you know, threw his coat or his mantle, his, his scarf on him, which was an invitation of discipleship. And God has called him to serve the prophet and ultimately succeed him. And Elisha says goodbye because he's not going to see his family again. It was a full commitment. And he arose, it says, and served Elijah. He followed him and he served him. And what a privilege it is to be surrounded with so many people that together we follow Jesus and we serve him. And God hears your prayers. Even if they come in the caves. Because, you know, some of you beat yourself up. You're in the cave. You're like, well, God doesn't hear me anymore. No, God hears you and he's even going to answer you. He even knows what he's going to do. He knew Elisha. He already knew Elisha. You don't know, but he already knew that Elisha was ready for him. And all this stuff that Elijah didn't know were just hammering his faith, hammering his trust, undermining him, and still the Lord met him. You could say that everything that Elijah in was his doing. It was his sinful response. You, you could look at that, and I would agree with you. But in all of that, even when Elijah was faithless, God was what? faithful. Don't forget that. Father, we thank you for the privilege of learning from Elijah. You know, we don't often see weaknesses in men, but we all have them. And anyone that proclaims to not have a weakness is not telling the truth. Anyone that would try to hide their weaknesses, simply not telling the truth. And so as we look to you tonight, Lord, and are encouraged by Elijah, we remember this. Get up. Get out and go back. It's almost like what you said, Jesus, to the church in Ephesus. Remember from where you have fallen, repent, and go repeat the first works. And so, Lord, I know there were hard words. Some might even be mad at me tonight of self-pity, but the truth for all of us that have tasted self-pity is that it's very prideful to stay in the same place. It's very prideful for us to not trust you and to blame our past or to blame our circumstances and to, not, to just not believe what you said in your word, that you are sovereign and that you have a will for our lives and you're working all things together. So please forgive us. And anyone that's mad, Lord, just minister to their hearts. It's okay if they're mad. That means they're processing what's being said and the emotion is hurt right now and pain and anger, but... Father, even in that, you're able to minister to us as we open ourselves to you and ask you to sort it all out for us. I know self-pity is so ugly in my life. I've seen it far too often, especially in the last few years. It's not your will for my life. I admit that and I accept that and I want to leave it behind. Thank you for, um, thank you, Lord. It's been a long time since I've been in that place and I don't want to go back, but I'm sure it's going to be a temptation. And so I pray for me and for us that you would enable us to get up, to get out, and to go back. Just to move forward with you. As Elizabeth Elliot said, to learn to do the next thing. Whatever that might be, just the next thing. To do what's in front of us. Not to run away, not to run to the caves, but even there, if there's those that are among us that have run to the caves, you're still there. Like the psalmist said, where are we going to go? I can go high, I can go low, but you are with us. And for that, we're grateful. And may you be glorified. May you have all of our attention tonight.
may you have your way with us. And God, like the disciples, we, we ask, would you please increase our faith? Have your way among us. Holy Spirit, come, and you're not done yet. Just because the study is done, you're not done. You're still at work among us. Inspire, stir, hug, encourage, comfort. Lord, I pray for your spirit to bring affirmation into lives today, into hearts. Not the way the world is, but your personal love and care in everyone's situation. God, bring reminder of your Holy Spirit. Move among us and bring reminder. Bring back memories of your faithfulness. Help us to trust when our kids are away. Help us to trust, God, when things aren't working out the way we thought and when our life wasn't all that we had planned. God, let us be content and living in your presence, living for your pleasure, trusting you with our lives, thanking you for salvation, thanking you, God, that what we can't see, you see. What we can't feel, you know. What's not been revealed to us will be at the appointed time. You're working all things, that our life isn't determined by one act and one event. We don't know what it is, but we know this. As we're surrendered to you, like Pastor Chuck has taught us, and your Bible says, hey, when we're surrendered to you, you're working all things together for the good. All things, bad, good. And so we submit ourselves to you, God, as we leave here. Have your way among us, in Jesus' name. Amen.